Aloha, good morning. It, it is really quite humbling to be asked to, to be part of the leadership team of a church that is Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, and Bible-living. And just my relationship and contact with the, the leadership team, the other leaders, the helpers, my wife and I have grown immensely, more than I thought I could ever grow in my love for Jesus Christ, but Shorebreak has done that. And so I am so blessed, and I hope that you feel that, that same way as you come in contact with the people here at Shorebreak. And like uh, Pastor Travis said, that, you know, uh, we usually go study the books of the Bible, and there's incredible expository teaching. And you know, after we ended the book of Jonah, I wanted to say, hey, can we recycle that again? Maybe go through it the next several weeks because it was powerful, it was convicting, but it was convicting to the point that it changed who we are uh, as far as our relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, with that, if you would stand up for the reading of God's word. And the text we're going to look at today is found in 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 10. And God's word says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to come and worship you. That is our heart's desire, Father, is to, to honor you and worship you, and that we pray, Father, that you would allow us to just do that, to sit under your word as it's presented through the Holy Spirit. I thank you that uh, we can worship you in a way that, that hopefully would change us. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you work in and through us as listeners and in and through me as I preach the word today. We thank you for praying in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I don't know if... Oh, you may be seated. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll have you stand for the next 30 minutes or so. I don't know if uh, you are here witnessing... Uh, an incredible event, the Ironman World Championships. You may be here because you have... Uh, you know, relatives or, or, you know, brothers or friends that have competed, or maybe you competed yourself. I know we, several of you who are in this church uh, have competed before, and I found it really incredible to observe what they did because my wife and I originally didn't want to come down uh, since we live probably half a mile away from Ali'i Drive. Uh, we said, uh, we'll just kind of pass on that. But, you know, we got invited by an incredible couple to have lunch with them, so why not? Because they're really a fun couple to, to hang out with. So we went down, and we were eating probably as the, the competitors were going down. <laughs> I know that, uh, you know, to see the transition, you know, 
These guys, we came down while right, they're finishing the, the cycling portion of it, and they're just jamming into the transition station. But man, what happened, because I, I'm an ex-runner, and when they transitioned to the marathon, I couldn't believe how fast they were going. This is after swimming 2.4 miles, cycling 112 miles, and now they're going to run 26.2 miles. I go, wow, that, that is really impressive. But you know, I don't know if you ever wanted to do something like that. Maybe say, no, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> but the amount of training and effort and time to be able to do something like that, it may not even be just an Ironman. It could be just you know one-third of it, swimming it or, or, or running it or doing a half marathon. There's still a certain amount of effort and time put into it. And there's things like the, a proper diet. You know, these athletes know what to eat. There's proper training. They know how to incorporate the training into their goal. And there's got to be the proper motivation in doing all of this. And just like training for a physical event, there's also training up to be godly. There's that spiritual development, spiritual training that's involved really is what counts. And so this is what we're going to be talking about today is really the godliness or that spiritual development that Paul talks about. And he says here in verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ. And it was really hard to just go right in the middle of this letter that Paul wrote to Tim Timothy without giving an overview of what's happening. There is false teaching happening in the church of Ephesus. And he, he says there's false teachers, uh, stay clear of these myths and endless genealogies that promote speculation. And what those were doing is that they're promoting just guesswork. Then there shouldn't be guesswork because God's word is clear. It's clear to the point that we can read it and understand it. And it also talked about how people, because they were involved with these endless or these myths and endless genealogies, uh, they wandered away from the faith with just vain discussion. Discussions that had no merit, no purpose. And then verse 2, it talks about how believers should, believe, uh, should behave in a church environment, about submission, how women should dress. Uh, it talks about um, uh, in verse 2 and 3, or excuse, chapter 3, about qualifications of a pastor. And ironically, I'm preaching on this, and I'm presented as a deacon candidate. It talks about the qualifications of a deacon. In fact, I want you to look over that after the service today. Read it really well and see if I do match up with those qualifications. That is very important because the body of believers have to be encouraged uh, to the point from the leaders so that they may grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ themselves. And then he mentions in verse 4, a little bit more heavy, he talks about those who have devoted themselves to deceitful spirits, teaching of demons, and then he calls them liars whose conscience are seared uh, to the point that they can't even know between right and wrong. Uh, they teach on marriage and required absence from certain foods. So they're adding legalism into God's word. They're trying to add a different doctrine trying to improve on God's word, and you just can't do that. God's word is complete. It's a complete revelation of God. There's no way to improve on it. Uh, 
And so these are the things that Timothy were supposed to bring out to the church to present to them because the whole of 1 Timothy and in fact Paul's letters to Timothy, uh, Timothy uh, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy is Timothy, uh, make sure your character in Christ is visible because that will allow you to save the church. That is Paul's calling to Timothy. Uh, in fact, it says to put these things before uh, the brothers. The thing is, uh, Paul said in uh, the book of Acts chapter 20, verse 27, he said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So a leader, or let's say even uh, anybody in ministry, has to present the whole counsel of God. So you may hear things that you don't want to hear. You may hear unpopular things as well as the popular. You will hear the bad things as well as the good things. Things that uh, will make us feel good and things that will convict us. That is the whole counsel of God and that is really what uh, Paul is charging Timothy to do. Bring these to the brothers and you will be a good servant. And I go, okay, what in the world is a good servant? It's bringing these things, the whole counsel of God, within the sphere of influence that you're involved in, regardless of the results. And, you know, when I present a message, I, I really don't need for you to say, hey, good message, good job. Uh, you know, I know that you're encouraging me, but, you know, even if I don't get that, I want to be a faithful servant in presenting God's word to you, regardless of what happens or the compliments or the encouragement I get, because that is really what it's all about. It's being faithful. And being faithful is consistently submitting your decisions about life under the authority of God. And how's that done? You look at this, verses 6 and 7a, I'll read it again. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. And the first part of verse 7 says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. And if you're to take a look at, the, well, ESV says, uh, rather train yourself for godliness. That word train the more accurate rendering of train is, is being nourished. Train equals being nourished. So you are to nourish yourself by God's word and sound doctrine. That is what it's talking about. And to me, the success of a believer's life is connected to their relationship with scripture. So how you succeed, how victorious you are in your walk with Christ is dependent on your relationship with God's word. It's, it's really important. I can't stress that enough. And in fact, Jesus said, Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I know oftentimes we think of bread as a sustenance you know, that, that we, we consume, but we need to consume God's word as well. Remember, I just said that the believer's life or success, or success is connected to their relationship with scripture. 
And so here's Jesus, our Lord and Savior, saying, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. In fact, Jesus in John 4, 34 says, my food is to do the will of my Father. I find that really interesting and incredible because here's our Lord and Savior saying, continue to consume and fill yourself up with God's word. You see, Timothy was exposed to scripture throughout his life. He was raised in an environment uh, where he became acquainted and nourished in God's word. 2 Timothy 1.5 says, I, remind, I, I am reminded of your sincere faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. You see, there is an invisible chain that links all the generations together. And here you have Timothy, uh, who had a godly grandmother, a godly mother, and a godly mentor in Paul. And here's Timothy at the, that chain right there. And that's why we hold the Keiki ministry uh, as a very important ministry, because what the Keiki ministry does is that it reinforces what should be happening throughout the week. The mother and father, whoever the guardians are, has a God-given responsibility to train that child in the way that he should go, to present to that child the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then when they get to the cakey ministry, it's just reinforced. And Timothy was one that was constantly fed God's word and of sound doctrine. Uh, let me ask you this. What is it that you feed your souls on? What are you reading? What are you watching? What you feed is whatever you allow your eyes to look at, what you allow your ears to hear, and what you allow your minds to dwell on. And I'll tell you, based on that, it's going to determine who you really are. How about your doctrine? You know, basically, what are you being taught? What do you accept as teaching? You know, uh, some of us, you know, we go on a Netflix binge, and there's some great documentaries out there about biblical things, but I don't know exactly how accurate those things are. There's been some Hollywood movies. <laughs> I guess if you're there for artistic sake, it's okay, but many are, uh, are inaccurate and incorrect. Or uh, the History Channel. There's some pretty decent shows on History Channel. I love it. Uh, but is that really how you nourish yourself up into godliness? There's really only one way and only one place where good doctrine comes from. It's called the Bible. A good servant nourishes himself with God's word. Imagine this, after church service today, you got, uh, I don't think there's a place that has a, a buffet breakfast around here. I, I haven't found one. You binge on that, go home, and don't eat the rest of the week until after church the next week, and then you go do the same thing. What would your body do, and what would you feel like? You would be severely malnourished or undernourished because you're doing such a thing. Now, some of you may do just the church thing on Sunday, and that's it. 
one hour on, on Sunday. And, and that's how you live your life. And, you know, that's up to you and the Lord. But think about it this way. There are 52 weeks in a year. So that means 52 Sundays in a year, which means 52 hours in a year. And if you go to just do the church thing, you're trying to live a victorious Christian life on 52 hours a week of godly nourishment versus the rest of the year. I don't know how you do, but I would, I would fail miserably in everything that I did. But take away vacations, sporting events, maybe kids' illnesses, and that's chopped down to maybe 45 hours a year of trying to live a victorious, godly life. How are you going to do? That's almost like an Ironman athlete uh, working out one day of the week and trying to swim 2.4 miles, cycle 112 miles, and run 26.2 miles. It's impossible. And here we are, we're believers in Jesus Christ, the very, the very core of who we are, the, uh, the most important part of our life is, is that he died on the cross for our sins. You know, he died for the sins that we commit, what we've committed and we commit today, the present, and for the future. And he's given us eternal life and we're only going to devote you know, 45 hours a week or, or a year to him. You can't get your nourishment in that regard. It says here, um, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. In First uh, Timothy 1, verses 3 through 4, Timothy was to call out certain individuals who, who taught a different doctrine, uh, they sh- that they shouldn't devote themselves to the myths and endless genealogies, because what they did was they created less godliness instead of more. It focused less on the truth of Scripture and attempted to improve on God's Word. You can't. It's impossible. I know there's a, one major religion out there that uh, tries to improve in God's Word, and it's fallacy. God's Word is the truth. And so Paul says to, not, to have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths that have no basis of fact and possessed no truth. And anything that you uh, try to consume, if it's silly myths and, and um, irreverent silly myths, all it is is nothing but junk food that has no ability to nourish. And he says, stay away from them. In fact, um, many of you just read the ESV, but really the more uh, accurate translation, if you're to look at uh, the original language, the irreverent silly myths translates to old wives' tales. I think you may see that in the NIV or NASB, old wives' tales. You know, I, I appreciate the ESV because I know that if you're to read old wives' tales, you'll get stuck on that, like I did the first time. And I, I really appreciate them not saying that because you know what old wives' tales are, right? It's like, you know, an apple a day keeps a doctor away. I don't know if that's true or not. Or like my mom said, Dunny, 
Don't go outside with your hair wet. You'll catch a cold. Another one, she caught me uh, drinking coffee at a young age, like nine years old. And it just smelled so good. My dad would percolate his coffee. It smelled so good. I, I tried it. And she goes, Danny, don't you drink that coffee. It will stunt your growth. <laughs> I always wanted to be tall, dark, and handsome. I guess my mom was right. <laughs> I'm only 5'8". <five>, <laughs> Even surfers, even surfers have their own silly, irreverent myths. These two local guys, they found a, a reef, bake, reef break about 400 yards off the island. And, uh, you know, when you're surfing, you just, it, it's so, so fun to surf when there's only one or two guys out there. And there's a lull in the set, so they're just sitting there talking story, and all of a sudden, 20 yards from them, a shark fin pops up. And, and their eyes just went like that. And one guy just started paddling like crazy, and then the other guy followed, and the guy in the back says, hey, brah, you think you're going to out-paddle the shark? And the guy in the front says, no, brah, I just got to out-paddle you. <laughs> but they're ir- irreverent silly myths. Irreverent is no fear in God. Silly myths are things that, that are untrue, no basis of truth, uh, no foundation of fact. And Paul says to stay away from these irreverent, silly myths. Look at verse uh, 7, the second half of 7. It says, rather train yourself for godliness. And godliness is being totally committed to God in every area of life where we become more Christ-like. You, you read and hear about the word godliness, and that's really what it is, that we are becoming more Christ-like. That's how we are to train, and it's really becoming more holy. Another word that we use is sanctification. That's what it means to train to become godly. And that word train, it's, it's different from the first time you saw it in this, uh, this passage the word train is where we get our word gymnasium from. You see, the, the Greco-Roman culture was really heavy, obviously, in teaching the arts, literature, rhetoric and debate, but also developing the physical body. And they're you know, counting it as a whole type person. And so... Paul used all these illustrations, word pictures, and metaphors to describe what it's like to train because there's some effort involved with, with training a physical body, but rather he said, um, train yourself for godliness. Here he makes a comparison between bodily training and spiritual training because bodily training is good, yes, but training godless will require the same focused uh, effort and exertion. Look at verse 8. It says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. In athletes, I know some of you um, competed in various sports in college, high school, even recreationally, you know, as age group uh, competitors, 
Um, but there's an amor- enormous amount of time and effort and energy into developing our fitness level. And obviously, uh, some people, their whole lives are centered around this training regimen. And it can get to that point where it's, it's pretty serious. And Paul reminds us to be very intentional. The same intentionality in training physically, place it on training uh, in godliness. And he draws a line, however, on the difference between the two because bodily training is good for this life only. See, we can spend countless hours every day in training, but this earth, when this earthly life is over, it, it counts for nothing. But he doesn't condemn bodily training. It's really good for you. It, it keeps your weight down. It gives you a, a better energy level. It keeps my head straight. Um, and Paul says, you know, these things aren't bad. He's not condemning them. But uh, he says, well, I say keep on training, enjoy the physical benefits of godly, uh, or physical benefits and bodily exercise, and take time to develop your fitness level. So you can enjoy these things, these, these good things. But the problem is, don't let the good things be your God things, which is really, really easy to do. I know because I've been there before. Through, through my surfing, through my business, um, <laughs> through my own interest. But don't let the good things be your God things. Here it is again in uh, verse 8b. It says, um, Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You know, there's an abundant life that Jesus talks about. You know, John 10.10, he says that I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And you're thinking, what in the world does he mean by abundant life? It's not the physical, material things, though it can be, but it has to do uh, with our relationships and the things that he, he's blessed you with. You know, the abundance that God has given me, uh, and I'm not talking about the physical, material, financial things. To me, the most important things in my life, these good things, um, the abundant things has to do with my wife and my children and my grandkids and my relationship with other believers. Because within that context, it has given me so much more joy than those things that I thought would give me joy, like a a new surfboard every year or traveling to, you know, exotic places for a surf trip. The biggest joy is coming to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And because of that, it affects and it impacts my relationship with my wife, my kids, my grandkids, and, and with you. And uh, it teaches you also about how you manage your, your time and your activities. In fact, with, the, uh, with husbands and wives, you know, husbands are supposed to love their wives like Jesus loved the church. And what did he do? He died for the church. I wonder if us husbands have that same 
uh, I approach to our marriage. And how about your kids, you know, with, with your parents? In Ephesians it says, uh, children, honor your father and mother for this is a pro- uh, there's a promise involved with that. And the promise is that there's long life full of blessings. And I remember I was having heart issues uh, a year and a half ago and my daughter prayed that with me. You know, uh, uh, I've, my daughter says, uh, Daddy, I've seen you, you honor your father and money. I, I want long life for you. And, you know, to me, there's no greater joy, really, than the relationships that we're involved in. It should be that way. Second uh, Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And this verse tells me that a character built on the foundation of godliness has eternal value and a direct bearing on the reward we get in heaven. Not only that, it should remind us that not only do you enter eternity by faith, but you bring your character along with you. You know, all these earthly accolades, newspaper clippings, trophies will long be forgotten, but what we do now for the sake of godliness counts forever. I don't know if any of you have always wanted to be like number one in something, like number one in the country or, or whatever, like American Idol or America's Got Talent or, you know, in athletics. And I'm saying this because I don't want you to think I'm a great and wonderful guy. But uh, back when I was a sophomore in college, I was part of a four-by-one-mile relay team. And uh, we competed in the very first invitational of the season, and we won. And because of that, um, we got a national ranking. We were first in the country. I'm smiling because it is, it is kind of funny. But we were first in the country. And you want to know something? I put that badge on. I was walking around campus like... <laughs> you notice anything about me? Um, but when all the better teams uh, ran other invitations throughout the country, uh, I checked the second week where our ranking was. We went from first to eighth in a matter of a week. The next week, more teams ran that same event we were in. We dropped down to like 18th. And then by the fourth week, we didn't even exist. You see, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the badge I, that I wore, I, I took it off and, and kind of hid it. <laughs> but, you know, here it is. Paul is talking about bodily training and training unto godliness because there's a difference. Bodily training is so temporary and it's, it's gone like that. And it means nothing when we finally step into eternity. But here Paul is saying, you know, having a relationship with Jesus Christ and training yourself into godliness and acting upon what Scripture desires of us has value for right now in the life that we're living and it has value for eternity. 
because we're going to be rewarded for what we did in the body, whether good or bad. And he's saying, focus on godliness. You know, focus on the godliness. It takes proper, a proper diet, proper training, but there's also a proper motivation. Why is it that we, we do this? And, you know, most moving towards godliness is probably the most fulfilling endeavor you'll be involved in. You may not think so, but it is. Look at verse 9 and 10. It says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Whatever part of ministry you're involved in, it could be a pastor, a deacon, uh, somebody in leadership, a volunteer, um, there's a blessing that that, uh, is immeasurable when you get involved in that way. However, it's not easy. It's not easy for somebody uh, to be involved with community group because there's, it's on either a Wednesday night or sometime during the week. You go, well, you know, my favorite TV shows about the same time. And maybe I won't get involved with community group. Or um, the church has needs as far as uh, volunteers for the uh, host team, hospitality team, Keiki. It's not easy to be involved with that because quite frankly, we, that includes me, that we would rather live life on our own terms. It's not easy because the Bible says, you know, we toil and strive for a very important reason. For, for pastors, you know, one of the main reasons why I, I desired, and I, again, uh, very humbly accepted my desire to get into, to be a candidate to be a deacon is because I want my pastors to be successful in the ministry that God has appointed them to. But I also want our, our, the co-workers or co-laborers of Christ's grace uh, to grow in him. But it's not easy. You know, uh, oftentimes because of our critical nature, the things that we, we live in, uh, pastors and leaders have to live with such great scrutiny on what they say, how they act. But my desire is for them to be successful in their ministry and you to be successful in your walk with Christ. But it's not easy. That is why we labor and toil and strive because of one thing, because of our desire and Jesus' desire for you to come to know him. If you already know him, he desires for you to be more like him. That is the point of why we toil and strive because verse 10, it says, because we have our hopes set on the living God. That's Jesus. And on the surface, you think this labor is really no big deal. It is a big deal. For pastors, for leaders, for you who come to church, there's a set of words that that maybe you don't know now, but when you step into eternity, that you will will rejoice beyond rejoicing when 
Jesus meets you face to face. I'm not sure he may give you a hug. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you want to hear those same words? I'd say, yeah, I do. And that comes when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I have to make a clarification here on the last part of this verse because you read it and you go, oh, well, I guess Jesus died for everybody. There's nothing else I need to do. He says here, I'll read verse 10 again, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And you would think, well, you know, there's, there's nothing I have to do because he's already saved me. Actually, what this is saying is that Christ's work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient for salvation, available to all people. And Paul adds a qualifier, especially of those who believe. It only becomes effective when you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It says in Acts 4.12, it says, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no uh, multiple ways to get to heaven. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Because 1 John 5.12 says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so here we are, we are to train so we're fit for eternity, not just fit for now, but fit for eternity. And of course, the whole thrust of this message is our work, our journey to godliness, to be more Christ-like. Let me just give you three really short, practical ways to do that. First, deny self-gratification for God's glorification. Start living your life on what God wants you to do or how you should live it um, instead of how you want to live your own life. Like I said before, oftentimes uh, we want life in our own terms. But let me tell you, there's a, there's a blessing in uh, glorifying God instead of gratifying ourselves. Second, live life with eternity in view. Remember, we're going to end up in eternity someday. And if you want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, it will do you well when you live life with eternity in view. And thirdly, immerse yourself in God's word. And let me sort of explain that to you. I'll give you a visual here. It's just a... You know, this is just a pot of water, bowl of water. But let's say this bowl of water, this water is Jesus. He's called the living water, right? And, you know, we're, we should be the sponge. So when we immerse ourselves in living water, God's word, and when we're tempted and, and the world crushes, presses down upon us, squeezes us, what comes out? Living water. And that is our move to godliness because we're not 
we're glorifying God by the decisions we make. How about uh, when you're driving? I live in California, so I, let me tell you, it's, it's nuts there. And it's so easy to get angry when somebody cuts you off or tailgates you. But when you get angry and you are immersed in God's word, when you're living a life to please him, when you get squeezed, what comes out? Living water. How about your relationships? Sometimes you get angry, you get in an argument. Um, when that happens, when you feel that coming on, when you get squeezed by the temptation to not act the way you want to, if you're immersed in God's word, what comes out? Living water. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you that as we look at it, uh, I pray that we are challenged, but yet changed. I pray that there's a, a movement in our hearts to glorify you, that we become more Christ-like as we become more godly. I thank you that um, you are relentless in your pursuit of us, even though we have this rebellious nature, but you love us so much that you don't want us to stay in the rebellious state, but to do your will, to give you glory. I pray, Father, that as we work our way through this life, that we fall in love with you more and more, that we take your word, that it, your words are life, and it has meaning and purpose for the life now and for the life to come. We thank you for praying in Jesus' name. Amen.